Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, folks. It's V, the Gorilla Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the Morning. We have with us a special guest, a man at this point, needs no introduction, is the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Tom Luongo, is here. You can find Tom over at TomLuongo.me, TomLuongo.me, golds, goats, and guns, baby, speaking truth, destroying narratives about politics, markets, and culture. Folks, Buckle up your seatbelts, get your notebooks ready, and your popcorn cooking. And if you haven't poured yourself a dark roast, make sure you do it now because Tom is fired up. You know why he's fired up? Because it's actually friggin' cold in Florida where he is, and that just pissed him off even more with everything else that's going on. So we're in for it. I'm excited. Tom Luongo, everyone. Good morning, Tom. How are you, buddy? Good morning, V. How are you? Thank you for the invite, as always. It's good to talk to you, man. Always, man. Always. Hey, Tom, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know where you want to start, man. I mean, there's so many things going on. <laughs> like every, every I, wait, I, let's talk about how Lagarde just tried to, uh, try, tried to just to, to, you know, save her own skin. And the yeah. markets are like, oh, that's nice, Chrissy. Uh, 50 basis points. We're still going to crush the euro out of existence. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Go, <laughs> go for it. You have, you have that. You have I, I, and I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Like, you know, okay. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, Okay, so think about this, right? Yeah. Last week, the Fed gets the triple scalp. Right? Uh-huh. They get Silvergate, they get uh, Silicon Valley Bank, they get Signature Bank. All ESG globalist, you know, uh, woke central, DNC money laundering, all of this stuff, major faucets for the, um, the new euro dollar system that they were trying to create through crypto, yeah. Yeah. right? For those of you who don't under, who don't understand what I'm talking about, euro dollars being offshore dollars, right, and then which are then levered up overseas in the shadow banking system and then brought back over here. Well, one of the things that was really interesting was you know I was watching watching a, a, a just to make sure that everybody understands what I'm talking about. I was watching an interview that Daniel Martino Booth did with Blockworks on Monday while this was all happening, and mm-hmm. she remind and they reminded everybody that Silicon Valley Bank fought becoming a CFI. They fought becoming a systemically or structurally important financial institution, whatever the F stands for, um, which then puts them under a different set of regulations. So they wanted to operate as a kind of onshore shadow bank. Yeah. Doing SPAC deals and VC deals and all this like silly stuff and levering up their portfolio and having dark pools of money and all the rest of it. So um, it was very clear that that's what they were doing. So they needed to be taken out because it's been my thesis for two years now that the Fed is at war with the offshore dollar system. Yeah. Because the offshore dollar system wag is the tail that wags the monetary policy dog. Um, right. Another way to put it, and then if you think about the health of the dog itself, right, the dog is like on life support and the only thing that can actually wag is its tail. <laughs> Very right? well put. <laughs> so, you know, what Powell's done over the last couple of years is injected the dog with a whole bunch of vitamin C and, you know, actually fed it some food that's not made with soybeans and, you know, uh, you know, rat's tails and, and actually, you know, gotten the dog back off of life support. And now the tail wagging isn't the only thing that matters right, to the markets anymore. Right. And this is, you know, and I'm at odds with, you know, there's the Jeff Snyder camp, your dollars are king and they determine everything. And then there's me going, yeah, that's nice. But as long as the Fed is willing to go along with it. Correct. If the Fed's not willing to go along with it, 
I don't give a damn how many euro dollars you print and how many times you try and spook the markets if the Fed goes. Yeah. You lose. Right. That's all the Fed has to do. Right. Because, you know, I, and what started this for me was, of course, what we talked about the last time I was on the show. When he raised, when Powell raised the reverse repo facility, five points, five basis points above the Fed's funds rate. Like the yeah. whole financial, the whole old financial system, like collapsed. Correct. Overnight. Right. Right. I mean, like it, it took five basis points to break the world. Really? <laughs> and you're the, and you're the all powerful masters of the universe, according to Jeff Snyder. Correct. <laughs> maybe you should recalculate you know maybe you should do a little if you're such a libertarian maybe you should do a little ein randy and checking your premises mm-hmm. just just say it <laughs> so you know i mean seriously so this is where we are today so taking out silicon valley bank was a necessity the same way taking out ftx which was i think the last time we were on and i Correct. said FTX was nothing but a Fed, you know, hatchet job to get rid of another crypto version of the crypto dollar, crypto euro dollar system, because that's all stable coins are. They're just euro dollars. Yes, they are. Right. right. So we got to get rid of them all. all right. we, we can leave one because Bitcoin needs something to trade against because we don't want Bitcoin trading directly against dollars. Yeah, right. You know, we have to have one. So they're going to. So I think they own. I think they've they've I think they've bought out Tether basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just seems to me that tether, that tether just keeps surviving. It does, even when USDC takes a dive, which is again, you know, backed by so DCG Group and all the companies connected with DCG Group, and DCG Group is getting a, a hatchet job at the moment. Right, yeah. right, right. So I just think that you know, I think at some point in the past, and I was arguing with Caitlin Long in 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 um in in Twitter DM about this on Monday actually, mm-hmm. and she. I I brought, I floated that out to her and she was like, no, absolutely not. They hate Tether. Well, maybe then they'll take out Tether last. I don't know. But to me, it seems like if you're going to keep Bitcoin, you can't do, you can't take it out, right? No, you can't. All you can really do is hive it off into a corner where it can't affect anything. But the right. reality to me is that why would you do that when since Bitcoin is a bearer asset like gold that you can construct a good futures curve off of, Right. You can construct like real you can construct a real market with that. And if you're like needing collateral, like real collateral, like Bitcoin collateralizes things. Yeah, it does. I mean, working in the industry on the institutional side, I can tell you right now, the amount of liquidity that's behind Bitcoin is massive as opposed to any other cryptocurrency. You can absolutely create, uh, you know, collateralized uh, um, uh, options with that without a doubt. Collateralized Bitcoin. Yeah. instruments right absolutely same way you can do that with gold right yes. so wouldn't so this has been one of the theory theories of one of my patrons and we've been chatting about for months now and he put this idea in my head he's like dude this this high correlation between the bitcoin price and you know the moves that we're seeing in uh, by proxy in the sofa market mm-hmm. that he's like dude they're they're using bitcoin to collateralize sofa trades someone mm-hmm. is and if that's the case, then Bitcoin needs to have a liquidity pool. Oh, yeah. And that absolutely. liquidity pool has to be a stable coin. And if that stable coin is also one effectively 100% backed by U.S. treasuries, that may not have been the case in the past with Tether. Tether may have just been, a, you know, just as dodgy as any other stable coin that's been taken out. But since the, um, and I haven't looked, but, you know, but since the, the Letitia James rolled over at the Southern District of New York on the and, you know, basically gave Tether a free pass, it's, that's a screen to me deal. Like something happened. And now think of Tether as a, you know, a liquid, as a sump um, pump for U.S. Treasury yeah. demand. Right. It, it makes right. sense. It's a, it's a potential pool of. Bullish. Well, here's another thing that's that's kind of funny as well. There's a lot of lot, lot of stuff happening in El Salvador with President uh, Bukele, and one of the guys mm-hmm. that I talked to down there, he's very well connected with the uh, with the president, the government over there, like literally one step removed. And uh, I'm privy to a few things that are happening behind the scenes. One of the things is is all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're they're creating more and more crypto projects down there, uh, especially with their central bank this time. To create some sort of either swap facility, some sort of uh, various different kinds of financial instruments, some of which, you know, that they're working on. 
and the interesting conversation du jour of how to like you know have some sort of a a, a vehicle for Bitcoin to trade against is believe it or not, man, it's Tether. Yeah, that that, that is the thing that they mentioned there. And look, there were Americans that were in that meeting that are connected to DC, specifically the Fed, that were in those meetings. And, uh, you know, so so I found that to be incredibly interesting. I'm like, I told him, I said, Isaac, uh, here's the deal, Tether? Because I was I was just like you, man, years ago, I, I would have touched Tether with a 10-foot pole. I'm like, ah, let's see how long this was. I don't know what happened in the last, especially when, you remember like three three or four years ago, there was that whole thing with Tether. Do they actually have the the backing for you know for their currency and they, and and you know that's when they went like oh they went uh, uh, nonprofit they decentralized mm-hmm. everything even more so I don't know what has occurred within the last several years but all of a sudden governments with with some serious quants who are able to look at this at a deep way all of a sudden favoring it as a stablecoin over USDC which Makes is perfect sense. which is the BlackRock ESG DSG you know. Coin right, sure. right, exactly. And so because of that, you look at Tether and you say, okay, well, fine. They just looked at Tether and said, we'll just take it over. Yeah. It's like, we, so, you know, whatever's going on at Tether, clearly a deal has been made and exactly they're going right. to survive. And I, I hate to, so. you know, I hate to burst anybody's bubble here. And I'm going to have, when I have Caitlin on my podcast in the beginning of April, you know, we're going to hash some of this stuff out. It's going to be fun. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. I'm just telling you what I, you know, what she and I talked about to spur the conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. It's pure, purely that she may be right about something else. She may have an angle on this that I haven't considered yet. And that's why I want to chat with her about it. Again, this is not in no way, manner, shape or form. Am I, you know, you know, um, trying to you know throw shade on anybody at this point. When we talk about Peter Schiff, then I'll be throwing shade. When I talk about Peter ah, ah. I'll be throwing shade. But, you know, right I now, I, you know, no, not, these people, everybody is everybody is honestly is honestly out there, I think, trying to do good, inquisitive work as to what's going on. And, you know, the truth is, is that not everybody's going to get everything right. Myself, right. you, right, everybody. Like there's right. the best people in the best minds in the world right now are going to get a lot of stuff wrong. And I think we all have to kind of remind ourselves of that. And, you know, and the hard part for the audiences is to try and like figure out who's right and who's wrong. Right. Because, you know, well, I trust this guy and I trust that guy and he's right about this thing, but he's wrong about this. And, and this is the hard part now. And it's going to be very difficult. But yeah. let's like... Let's let's back it up a little bit, get out of the weeds of that stuff and go back into the, where we are, which is what the, the bank term funding program, whether you like it or not, was the best deal you were. You know, here's the thing. No one's happy with the bank term funding project. Right. Program. Have you noticed this? The hard money guys aren't happy with it. Right. The Caitlin Longs aren't happy with it. Right. The European the, the, the euro dollar markets aren't happy with it. The Treasury's not happy with it. No one's happy with it. Other than the people whose deposits over $250,000 got to walk away with their ill-gotten gains, Scott Free. They're the only ones happy, but they had right. to be, but that was going to be the, the deal. Just think of it this way. Powell and Yellen had to sit down on Sunday night and craft a deal. Mm-hmm. And Powell was, wanted to craft a deal as quickly as possible. Now, why would he want to craft a deal as quickly as possible when every time in the past, Fed chairs have well, you know, especially Yellen and Bernanke have held uh, been mealy mouthed out for a while while Wall Street went and raided all the freaking regional banks for all their 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 high quality assets. Th- 2008, right? right? We didn't right. have any regulatory clarity. And all we had was every five, every 530 every Friday afternoon, the FDIC closes 20 banks or these seven banks or these five banks. And they all got and invariably what happened? All of those banks under in distress when Wall Street's balance sheets had massive holes in them and the systemic and the GSIBs and the CPs all got, and the primary dealers were all in trouble. What did they do? They rolled up parts of the regional banking system and took all the good assets onto their balance sheets and then dumped the rest of it onto the market. Yeah. Right. That's what happened back in 2008. Right. This time it's not that the reason the major banks aren't the ones in trouble. There's no, there's no worry at J.P. Morgan or gold. No, none whatsoever. Over, none whatsoever over at Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Pull my other leg. It plays Jingle Bells for Christ's sake. If you're going to try and sell <laughs> that narrative to me, I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, that's nice, but um, you know, I'm gonna go get a coke, and you can continue to ignore me. Yeah. Uh, you can continue to spout off because I'm going to ignore you because you're just wrong. So, like, in this situation, it's completely the opposite. On Monday morning. 
if the if JP Morgan and company were looking to, to roll up the the regional the, the vulnerable regional banks, Powell wouldn't have moved quickly. He would have mm-hmm. waited until today or tomorrow mm-hmm. to make a deal and further stress the valuations, create even more panic, blah, 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 in order for them to pick him up at, as opposed to 80 cents on the dollar, 75 cents on the dollar, pick him up for 20 cents on the dollar, Correct. 10 cents on the dollar, right? Right. So that's not what happened. And I talked to a bunch of people. And so I have some some regional bankers, as uh, as you would well think. I have some regional bankers and whatnot, hedge fund managers and whatnot in my Patreon community, mm-hmm. right? And so I heard from them that they all said the same thing. Like four different ones all said the same thing. I said on Monday morning, we were all like, oh God, we're going to get rolled up and killed. And by five o'clock in the afternoon, they had seen, you know, serious capital inflow into their banks. Sure. Onto their balance sheets because yeah. the Powell shored up the regional banks by making their, the, ba- the holes in their balance sheets whole, whole the whole H-O-L-E in their balance sheets, whole W-H-O-L-E by backstopping them at par. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like all the, so all the rate hikes up to now have been indemnified. The banks are now able to go forward because if one of the things that was very interesting about this is that the, and I was complaining about this a couple of months ago and I couldn't quite put it all together, but I just said, look, why is my credit union only paying me 0.15% on my savings? Yeah. Fed funds rates at four and a half. What the hell? I'm supposed to get some money out of this. Why have right. I, can I, I can, why can I only get that in money markets or in CDs? Because the banks weren't didn't want to pay that 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 in, that vig out because they were trying to take that difference and fill the hole in their balance sheets made by all the treasuries on their balance sheets having dropped by you know 30 percent in value, right? Right. So that's why it was happening. So Powell backstopping them at par now allows them to start you know offering savings rates that are above the zero bound. Ooh, does that change? Does that change the dynamic in the U.S. banking system? Does that change the dynamic in the U.S. economy? It's oh, going yeah. to. It's we're now going to start seeing three, four, three, three and a half, four percent savings rates on passbook savings in the United States. Big time. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to see, uh, and then the people are going to do that, and or start servicing servicing debt, and that's going to be disinflationary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it, it, I think I think that's the right read, right? Yeah. And now this morning, so and I looked at the whole thing and I said, and on Tuesday or Monday, I said, so that's interesting. That's only U.S. banks. So who doesn't get to participate here? Foreign banks, mm-hmm. foreign hedge funds, foreign family offices. Yeah. Foreign shadow banks. You have to have a at the very least the only ones are the foreign banks that can that can um, that can participate are ones that have have U.S. branches doing business in U.S. dollars. Correct. So, yeah. Your TD and, banks, your, your Barclays and whatnot. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, fine. But if they have investments here in the United States, then they're really just a regional bank. Correct. Because, it, because I was just literally just chatting with a patron about this who's in this industry. He laid it out. He said, look, Barclays, the parent company, can't access this facility. They got to go to the BOE. Mm. They got to go to the Bank of England, but Barclays on you know the Barclays you know Chicago branch that is a chartered you know subsidiary here in the United States. They can access right. They can access those. So their loans that they made locally to you know your mortgages or your car loans or whatever. Well, guess what? They've been indemnified. Mm. They're going to be in good shape. Is that going to be a somewhat of a stealth bailout for the the? Is that going to shore up the balance sheets a little bit of the foreign banks? Yeah, but again, at the end of the day, some of this sometimes you, it's it's all a shit sandwich, and sometimes everybody has to take a little bit of a bite. Yeah, you know, yeah. Powell gets ninety five percent of what he wants. He shuts off the faucets of the offshore ba- dollar system. Like mm. it shuts off multiple. Yeah, I mean, now think about what you just said. Everything you just laid out. It absolutely throat punches the idea of the euro dollar wagging the uh, the monetary policy here. No, it's the monetary policy that's wagging the whole friggin' dog. Right. And when this is all happening, I haven't even got into we're three months away from LIBOR and SOFR taking over. The BOJ just changed hands. We got so much to cover. Dude, let's so go. One, so the next, so, so think about it. So you're absolutely right. The euro dollar markets now take their positions 
take their cues from what the Fed wants them to take. Bingo. And so if you look at the way the Fed funds, SOFR, and Eurodollar futures curves have traded, yeah, like, yes, two days ago, it was the Fed has to cut rates. <laughs> Today, it's the Fed's going to raise by 25. The, these markets are moving 25 and 30 basis points a day now. The, the, the volatility, which used to always only be in places where the euro dollar tyrants wanted that volatility to be Bitcoin, oil, right? Yeah. Wherever gold. Now it's in their backyard, mm-hmm. their volatility. They're now having to take the volatility risk. They're now having to take their cues from other people. And that, so what you just said is showing up in the way those markets are trading. They're trading like a, a heart patient, you know, oh, in, the, yeah. in the throes of having a heart attack. <laughs> Absolutely. Because liquidity is just being siphoned right out of them. Sucked right out of them. Yeah. Exactly. So everybody who looks at the Fra OAS spread like Zero Hedge or Jeff Snyder looking at the Euro dollar futures inversion, all the, those are all fake markets. Correct. They're all fake markets because they're all predicated on a false premise that the Fed is going along with all of this nonsense. Mm -hmm. And when that premise was correct under Greenspan, Bernanke, and Yellen, it is not correct under Powell. That's the key difference. That's what everybody needs to wrap their freaking heads around if you want to make money and survive this and be right about anything because you're going to be wrong about everything if you don't get this right. I, I yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be macho here. This is the reality. I mean, and... it's it's incredible what you're laying out, man. I mean, they get rid of LIBOR, right? Which is what the scam the scam that 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 the city of London's been running for, for forever. Right. They bring in so uh, you know SOFR, uh, SOFR. Mm-hmm. That again kills dark dollars that are offshore. Yes, because you're directly basing the cost of borrowing. And cash overnight collateralization at the Fed window, and you're pegging it directly to whatever the U.S. Treasury repurchase agreements are. Yep, it absolutely kicks the nuts on LIBOR. And there again, the throat punch to euro dollars. Yes, <laughs> why, why I've been saying this for a year and a half, and the, yeah. all the Snyderites are out there going, "No, Snowfer doesn't matter." I'm like, really? Has anybody looked at the volume numbers? Like I wrote two articles last week going, oh, by the sure. way, did you not notice that the CME is ending euro dollar futures trading? Yeah, it's, it's over. And <laughs> because what's the point? The, ma- the market so far is now a, 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 a 10 times the size of the euro dollar futures market on the CME. The CME yeah. is losing money. Yeah. Keeping that that market open. Correct. Huh. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Don't you don't say like, where's my Pepe the frog mask for Christ's sake. Like I'm, I'm like, <laughs> like, that's all I say anymore. Like it's, I'm, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. Yo. So you don't say the douche you say they're ending Euro dollar futures. Really? Okay. Huh. And they announced this back in October and nobody noticed it. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> they did. They announced it in October and then they reiterated what was happening about two weeks ago. And one of my, you know, one of my patrons sent me the notice. He's like, this just came across my Schwab board this morning. I'm like, oh, and then I, I'm like, oh, look, your dollar futures trading is ending. Um, after April 14th, it's all closed. It's all, um, I think it's April 14th. After that, it's all, any trades are to closed positions only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that has to go away. So now we have to, so you're only looking at SOFR and Fed fund futures rates now. That's it. And LIBOR, which was the basis for the Eurodollar futures curve, is doesn't work anymore, which is why I've been charting LIBOR versus SOFR to see how and and clearly for the last since for the last year and a half since the Fed started raising interest rates, hmm. LIBOR has had to rise in anticipation of what the Fed was going to do next, not the other way around. Correct. You could see it in the two right. weeks before each FOMC meeting. Okay. Just, you know, I mean, I have the data. I have the charts. I, I throw them up on my Twitter feed every once in a while. And, you know, the one month LIBOR versus SOFR would tell you, you know, what the next meeting was going to look like. The three month would tell you what the next two meetings. And so what you could see is 
a, you know, when push came to shove, they really did have to say, okay, um, all right, fine. They held, they would held this, they would hold the spread for as long as possible. And then in the last week and a half or so, they would start raising rates again. They would start raising, they would start raising LIBOR. And then they would go to somewhere between five and seven basis points above the Fed funds, what they moved the Fed funds to. And, you know, and, and because LIBOR should trade as an uncollateralized rate, it should trade at a premium to SOFR. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but notice that the day, I remember this, the, the, the day of the first Fed rate hike, it was trading at um, only 15 basis points over. And then the yeah. Fed raised by 25. And then the LIBOR committee had to, oh, he actually raised rates because they didn't even believe it then. And then, and so, so much of the financial verbiage and the, the, the diarrhea that is spouted by people is based on the structure of these futures curves and the fraud right. OAS spread. And because of that, you know, it's, that's fine. I, you're, I mean, I, I don't discount the fact that the market has some power here. It does. Right. But that's okay. If Powell's intent is to break something. He's going to break it. He's going to break something. And, and there's gonna, nothing to you're wrap your head that. around it. And then if you think that he's going to pivot just because he <clears throat> broke something, which was his goal all along, I think you, again, may have to check your premises. And I, you know, I, I just, I don't even use that phrase anymore. I was like, you should recalculate whatever, you, whatever differential equation set you're, you're, you're solving here. You got the wrong, you got the wrong functions. You got the wrong forms. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, absolutely. This is like staring you in the face data. It's very hard. I mean, I mean the, it's so logical and so clear just by following it. There's just no way that anybody could adhere to the, the whole Euro dollar calling the shots. It, it, it isn't. No. Yeah, no, it's completely, it is now, um, it is now subordinate. And so all you can see, all you see out of Davos in the old Euro dollar system are counterattacks. So, oh, you're going to take out Silicon Valley Bank? Well, we're going to put fresh pressure on Credit Suisse. Mm -hmm. Because if you put out, because look, Powell tipped his hand about how important Credit Suisse was back in July. Or August, whenever it was, whenever the 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 week that they took out Liz Truss, that the the week that Queen Elizabeth died, Liz Truss was removed. The BlackRock uh, and uh, blackmailed the the Bank of England, and they installed Rishi Sunak, which was the coup against Brexit. Right, the yeah, same exactly. week they were attacking Credit Suisse. Yes, they were. Remember, yes, they same were. time. So the two banking the two banking systems within in on the european continent that weren't under the european union's purview sure england and switzerland were under existential attack by the, the global yeah. right the davos guys yeah. so the fed and comes in and backstops the snb and credit suisse in the short run yeah i i i literally had like a half dozen people all tell me I, I, more than that on twitter i took so much heat on twitter because oh look the fed bailed out europe you're wrong like they bailed out switzerland correct switzerland is not the eu no it's not it, far it's from a it different system yeah so exactly. no maybe you should think of why they did that but they didn't step in in england in the pension crisis they didn't step in in germany when um, you know, when banks were going, were, when banks were under in trouble because of, you know, being on the wrong side of energy plays or whatever, why did the Fed not go step in there? But they stepped in for Credit Suisse. Maybe you should ask yourself why they stepped in as opposed to just abreacting like a freaking monkey because you want to be right as opposed to actually do some analysis. Yeah. Like it's so annoying listening to these people think that they're actually smart. And I'm like, you're a moron. You're just a moron with an axe to grind. I'm a dude trying to figure this shit out. You're exactly. a moron with an axe to grind. I'm not listening to you, but I'm not going to block you because I actually enjoy like teasing you and tormenting you in public with being right. It's more fun. My kind because of guy. Then I get more followers and you lose followers and I win, which is the whole point. Correct. Truth wins. I, you know, you're just grinding an axe, right? So, what did they do? They tipped their hand that they were going to backstop the SNB. Why would they backstop the SNB though? 
This is the part that, you know, well, 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 why would they do that? Well, who's the largest U.S. equity hedge fund in the world? BlackRock. No. Largest, what did you say? The largest equity. equity? It's the Swiss National Bank. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, they, they own stock. <laughs> they own a shareholder in Apple, for yeah. Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> this is what also people need to understand. People also get this mixed up when when <laughs> when people say stuff. And I'm very familiar with Switzerland because one of our vaulting facilities is out in Geneva, in the free trade zone over there. Switzerland is not part of the EU, folks. It is not part of the EU or the EEA. It is not. Okay, so I just want to. Very important. And while the Swiss president and some of the Swiss politicians are in the tank to betray Switzerland for Davos, go listen to the podcast I did with Pascal Nachati on this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is why his, which is why his crusade to save Switzerland from itself by getting that guy impeached. Okay. Yep. Is very important store part of this story. But when you see it that way, okay, so it makes perfect sense that Powell would backstop Credit Suisse, who's going to be the major liquidity provider and trans- transmitter for Swiss monetary policy Correct. at this point, then Credit Suisse can't go under, right? Yeah. And if the majority of the Swiss National Bank's assets are U.S. equities, or at the very least, global blue chip equities, then we can't have a run in stocks either. And if you take out Credit Suisse, you take out a lot of the liquidity of the Dow Jones mm-hmm. and the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. And then through the mucking with the VIX, and then you go right back to the futures, tail wagging the dog nonsense. Now you start buying, and then you're Soros. You then you buy VIX futures, or and then you you know muck with the fixed futures, and then force programmatic selling and algorithmic selling of U.S. equities after you've cut off the liquidity sink for of the SNB. Yeah, dude, that's the decapitation play against Powell continuing to raise rates against these people. Right. That's why Credit Suisse was never going to go under. That's why a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, I told everybody, I told my patrons in a in, in my private podcast for them. I said, Credit Suisse is going to reach a is going to reach a pivot point. Right. Don't worry about it. What's going to yeah. happen is at some point you're going to it's going you're going to want to flip and go long. I was thinking, eh, you know, stink, but put a stink bit in a dollar. You might get filled. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking going. I'm literally thinking about going long Credit Suisse. Not a bad idea. I mean, that fifty-four billion dollar backstop, you know, really put it's an end real. to a lot of it. Yeah, it's real. That's a you know fresh art end of of liquidity. And it's interesting. I'm trying to look at the whole geo geo strategic play here, right? If mm-hmm. if you know, Switzerland is key. You know, mm-hmm. it's always been a, a a banking center. It's always been a financial hub. Uh, while the euro rots and and while the eurozone falls apart, having Switzerland there as a key asset as a key ally in the midst of this nonsense could be viable for those who are you know trying to put an end to these globalists yes yeah right which is why they had to get which is why the globalists went after the swiss political system but they can't control the swiss monetary system yeah it's like they got control of the u.s political system but they can't get control of the u.s monetary system they failed Mm -hmm. they got england but England was always in cahoots. With the, but the English globalists were always, and the Bank of England were always in cahoots with them. This is why Britain was eventually going to fail, and why Trump and Queen Elizabeth, and to a lesser extent Boris Johnson, were such a threat to them was because he they all understood this. Mm-hmm. And and as long as sovereigntists were in charge of the political system in the United States, they couldn't politically decapitate England and reverse Brexit. Right. The day that Biden was selected, I said, "Well, that's it. The you know you can forget the UK. The the last of the British Empire will be swept away. Yeah, into and subsumed into the EU because they because now the now the the UK has no friends because they've got Davos on both sides of them. Yeah, they do. They do at this point. That's why we got Rishi Sunak." I mean, I mean, I, I I say this all the time to people. Like, and they're like, people look look at me and, go, and I I hate to to do this, but I'm like, like, how do you figure this stuff out? I'm like, do you know how many board games I play? Yeah, 
Do you know how, I mean, I was literally had a two hour conversation with a friend of mine last night who does not understand the concept of board state balance because he's never, and you know, you know, so we, we got into a confrontation and a game recently and he, and I, and I fucked with him. I, I, you know, I, I, I went after him, but I was in, I was in a bad position and he was in second place and the other guy was in first place. I'm not going to go over the game or you know, I could just say, just to say what was going on. And my what best game was play, this? What, what board game is this? Oh, it was power grid. We were okay. playing power grid. If you've uh-huh. ever played power grid. No. No, okay. That's why I wasn't going to go there. But (laughs) in power, in this in this particular instance, in Power Grid, which is a a route building style game where you're just building electricity networks, it's one of the great games of all time. By the way, Um, (laughs) it truly is. It's truly fantastic. Uh But in this particular game, right, I had made some strategic errors early in the game because I I I literally I played I've only played Power Grid four or five times, and I, I I decided to try something that didn't work, and so I was in a bad position. But I could claw my way back into the game. There it is on BG. There it is. Power Like, uh, but one guy was in the lead. The other guy was in second. Basically, third or fourth in the game. And I'm looking at it, going, my only path back into this game because of the way the board was laid out. The only thing I could do was go was materially weaken slightly my friend who was in second place. Mm-hmm. To that would then force him to go after the guy in first place, and then. And I would rebalance the board so that now everybody's a little closer to each other. You know, I might be able to leapfrog back into second and, and the whole thing would be a little bit more metastable. What did my friend do? He got angry with me and he attacked me back mm-hmm. by taking my, by, by basically cutting me off to access to where I needed to go. And I'm like, okay, you just gave, you know, player three, the game. I'm not yeah. trying to not name names here. So you just gave, you know, Bob, well, these people, I just gave Bob the game, Jim. No, that's the wrong play. You have to take, you have to, it, this is geopolitics. You have to suck it up, Buttercup. Right. There are no alliances. There are only interests. Mm-hmm. And I was pushing you where you needed to go and you mm-hmm. failed. And now you lost. And now we all lose. So I, I, at that point, I was checked out of the rest of the game. I'm like, well, I'm done. This game's <laughs> over. But understand that I used to play games far more complicated from that perspective. Then power grid mm-hmm. for six hours a night, seven days a week for four years. <laughs> okay. Jesus, <man. laughs> oh yeah. So this, I, so I was just telling him, I was having this, I was talking to my wife who used to play these games with me and I'm like, and she was saying, yeah, if you don't, if you don't respect word state, then I'm not, all you did Jim was tell me that we're not going to ever play that game again because you don't understand how to play them. Mm-hmm. You don't respect the game enough to play the game by the rules of the game. Right. This is the meta game you're playing. The you're you're playing the wrong game. If you're if you're telling me that for the next game we ever play, I'll have learned the lesson that you don't screw with me. Oh, you don't know what you're telling me is I'm never going to play that game with you again. Or worse, that I now can predict how you're going to react if I do X Y and Z, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use that against you. That's the world. And this is why poker players who play algorithmically eventually lose all their money, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. once you become predictable and how you bet and how you, you know, how you bet and how you play certain hands, you know, you become predictable. Well, then someone can bluff you off your position. You can Correct. bully the table for so long with a certain type of play style, but then you have to change your play style. You know, in a, in a long 12 hour session of poker, you have to go through, you have to be able to play five different ways. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. or yeah. at least three different ways, and move and switch. Play tight early, then loosen up, then go back to playing a little tighter. Then try this, you know. And you have to do that to keep all your opponents, you know, on edge. This sure. is how you manage board state. And then the ultimate board state balance game is a is are the chips at a poker table, because oh, someone's yeah. job is to get them all. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this is like so to me, like all of this stuff always lays out like that, right? And so, you know, I, I use that metaphor all the time to try and, you know, not to bust my hand, pat myself on the back or anything, just to say, look, I've trained this way. Like I've spent a lot of my life doing this. So this is really easy for me to see. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and, and if you can break the, the big stuff down, if you can break the, the, the narrative, the, the situation down into incentives, assets, timing, right. Then you can go, oh, well, this is what's going on. And then it's not really that hard. And then all the details, 
Like, okay, well, how did they backstop Credit Suisse? How did they do this? How did they do that? Eh, I don't need to know that stuff. Only when it becomes important as to how they I, you figure it out, that's when yeah. you can come back and go, oh, that's where the pressure point was. That's where the fulcrum was. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I'm learning those, I'm learning all those new fulcra every day, basically. And that's the fun part about this because I'm very like, interesting. You know, it's fascinating. Power grid. I'm going to all sorts of new stuff. I want to. I want to take a look into Power Grid, man. <laughs> it's a fun game. Dude, it's I'm going to check it out. I mean, I, tight, mean, economic route building game. I, nice. I, oh, yeah, best with four four to six players. Scales well with every at every yeah. player count. But it's truly one of the great ones. And But it's very dry and very tight and very mean. You should also nice. look into Brass Birmingham, which is the, the current number one game on Board Game Geek. It's my favorite. What's Brass it called? Brass Birmingham? Brass Birmingham by Martin Wallace. Unbelievable freaking game. How do you spell B R A S S. Brass Birmingham. Yeah, just it's it's number one on Board Game Geek. Just go to the Browse tab, and you'll see it. It's right there at the top. It's about building industries and selling industries in in Ooh. in the north of England. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, I think I'm. In, gonna, I think this is up my alley, man. I think yeah, I'm that is absolutely this. up your alley. Yeah. Now oh, come I to Florida. This. I'll teach you how to play brass, and you'll be like, oh my god. Dude, I'm yeah. coming. I mean, I'm I'm overdue for a trip. It's a very complicated game. Yes, Brass Birmingham. Oh, it's it's it is one of the, but it's very, it's a heavy game. It's a very simple game, and this is what I like about both Power Grid and Brass is that the mechanics are simple. Wow. The decision space is wide. Sure. Okay, and the interaction is very high because you're all fighting timing wise for how are you and you're all building networks together and you're all working off of each other and there's you're going to make moves where well i'm going to score seven points but that guy i'm going to get but in order to score those seven i got to give him three yeah <laughs> wow. and i go oh, God, no and then if anybody allows you to just build your own network out in the out in the corner like well you just lost you have to go in and start mucking with me you have to yeah. And if you don't, I'm just going to win because I'm just going to be able to build my network and I'm going to score points and you're not going to score any in return. And so, nice. you know, the, the differences between, cause in, in brass, unlike power grid in power grid, you're looking for trying to take locations mm-hmm. and you're paying the link cost to get from location to location with a limited amount of money. And the, the, uh, the nickname for power grid is I'm a dollar short. You're always a dollar short to do the thing that you want to do in Power Grid. And in Brass, it's a really delicate balance between scoring points off of putting industries on the on the board and linking them up within networks and getting paid on both ends. And yeah. so it's a much, much it's a crazy, it's a crazily brilliant game. And there's multiple paths to victory and multiple strat multiple high-level strategies. And it's just it's a game that gets better and rewards you more the more you play it. So absolutely, man. But both yeah. of those games in, a, in effect are just go with cards and money. Oh, absolutely. It's, That's what they are. Good, just, I mean, all, all uh, route building games are effectively just, and location games are effectively go, but with just routes, uh, with just cards and money. Absolutely. Mm. Tom, uh, what else is on your radar? What else are you looking at in terms of <laughs> this ongoing war between Davos and Wall Street? The next phase of this now was going to be the the continuing um, realization by larger tranches of the market, and this is going to take some time to filter through, that the ECB has no options and that every move that Lagarde makes is a rear guard action and that Powell is completely, completely in control of things. Mm-hmm. This, unfortunately, is still not really critical mass. It's get It's getting there, excuse me. It's getting there, but it's not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the reason why these euro dollar and Fed funds futures, SOFR futures, why those markets, those futures markets are all mispriced. And I think they're terminally mispriced. Mm-hmm. I think we're heading for a rate shock this summer uh, or in the next couple of months or possibly even next week, depending on how what the Fed does with the Fed funds rate. If the Fed goes 50 basis points next week, like the whole, it's on, dude. It's on like Donkey Kong. Like they're... Mm-hmm. This is a this is financial warfare, um, and it is. But it the but if I don't think the Fed needs to do that because you're in a position of strength. So raising by fifty would only damage the um, the work you just did to shore up 
the uh, the U.S. financial system. So what I would say yeah. is you thread the needle with 25. You let the market know, no, no, seriously, we're still we're still worried about inflation. We're still not happy about where things are. We're not going to allow the ECB to catch up to us in terms of rates. So we're going to raise by 25. Hmm. And then probably 25 in May and 25 in June and blah, 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 blah. Um, July, you know, however the, 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 the schedule works out, I can, you know, it's every six or eight weeks, depending on the, on the, on the meeting. Right. Um, and, um, because the ECB did go 50. But yeah, again, the ECB is going 50 because they are worried. Mm-hmm. And they're raising rates in order to try and shore up credibility. And the euro is telling you that they don't have credibility. Now, let's talk about the Bank of Japan. Yeah. So what do you think is going on with the Bank of Japan? With Kuroda stepping down? The way to I, I haven't, uh, to be honest with you, I've been, I, I haven't gotten a chance to, to, uh, you know, circle back to the bank of Japan in, in months. Okay. So I, I know fair. the last thing I knew was, was Kuro stepping down. That, that, that's, that's where I, I don't even know the, who, who the new guy is. Okay. So let's talk about this because yeah. I've been thinking about this for a, a couple of weeks now and note that all of this has been happening as the backdrop of changeover at leadership of the bank of Japan. Um, so back in December, Kuroda, the last thing he did was to widen yield curve control on the JGB tenure to point to 0.5%. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Admitting that he has an inflation problem, finally letting up on yield curve control a little bit. Right. Now you're going to know this better than me. And you're going to be able to instinctively, I think, construct the carry trades in your head. And then I do, because it's not really my, my area of expertise. I, mm-hmm. I, I say this all the time. I LARP as a you know credit spread guy or whatever. I, I LARP as this stuff. I'm mm-hmm. still, I consider myself still, uh, you know, Padawan learner on mm-hmm. this stuff. I'm, I'm getting there because I've never traded these things. I've never done it. I've never written a contract. I've never done any of this stuff like mm-hmm. in real world. I'm talking mm-hmm. completely out of, in effect, completely out my ass. So here's the gig. If you think about where we've been since 2011, right? When yeah. the major central banks all got together and coordinated monetary policy, mm-hmm. creating the coordinated monetary standard, mm-hmm. central bank standard, right. as opposed to the dollar reserve standard, which failed in 2008. Yeah. You had the BM, you had the BOE, the BOJ, the SNB, the ECB, and the Fed all coordinate mon- monetary policy in order to keep the system liquefied with round robin QE for 10 years, right? So it would be the BOJ's turn, then it would be the SNB's turn, then it would be the the the, the ECB's turn, then the Fed, then you know, blah, blah, blah. And they would just keep levering up and they would just keep expanding their balance sheets, right? Ever upward while they suck real wealth out of the real world economy. Well, let's look at the landscape as of today. Who hasn't given up on unlimited QE? BOE was the first one to raise rates. Right. Even the ECB, the the Fed went next. The SNB followed the Fed. Actually, they actually went first, but when they killed the peg of the Swiss franc to the euro, really, sending the euro down, right, and and knocking out a key pillar of support for uh, for the euro. So, and then the Fed went, and then the Fed went, and then the ECB finally had to follow the Fed. Who hasn't given up anything yet? The BOJ. BOJ. So, when you think about it in these terms, who has benefited from most from the coordinated central bank policy? The BOJ. No. The Eurodollar system. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So, right. Okay? Right. And who's the prime beneficiary of the Eurodollar system? Europe, with yeah. all their zombie banks. Right. Okay, so so what I, I you know I one so here's one I I, I I talk about all my wins all the time but here's one I got wrong, right? I got wrong for the first year of this uh, of this Powell um, type monetary policy, saying, look, I think the BOJ, as always, as a U.S. sat rap, has the is the Fed's wingman. When when the Fed wanted a tighter dollar or a stronger dollar, the BOJ was there to help them by devaluing the yen. And then later, when they wanted a weaker dollar, they supported the, the the Fed by, you know, tightening up. And that may be the case, but I don't think that's the case. I think Corota was actually helping Lagarde protect credit spreads and protect the euro at times of crisis. Because it fits with the old system mm-hmm. with which he is an architect of. 
Now, let's talk about Kuroda stepping down. Why did Kuroda step down now? And yeah. not, is it because he's old? Or is it he was he forced out of power? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Again, let's talk about the political system versus the monetary system. It's Japan. So seniors, seniority, honor, status, incredibly important. Kuroda's right-hand man was offered, Amania was offered the job. Mm-hmm. He turned it down. And he turned it down. And I read a great article at the Nikkei on this. And it was all I needed to read. Mm. I read this article and that was it. Amania saying why he turned the job down. He turned the job down because he said, well, you can see that the, the world of central bankers is changing. We, we, we no longer, like myself and Kuroda and, and Bernanke and Yellen, they were all educated in the ivory tower and all educated in the same place with the same theories. Mm-hmm. And that's changing. Look at Jerome Powell. He's not from that background. Look at even Christine. He even mentioned Christine Lagarde because she's a lawyer. So central banking is changing and maybe the time has passed. This is his nice way of saying, and I'm being, and we're being forced out to pasture by the, by the non-commies. <laughs> That's the <laughs> translation that right. for the good of Japan, since I was an architect of this old monetary system, I won't be objective enough as a leader of the bank of Japan to do what's best for Japan. If we have to change policy. That is so refreshingly, that is so refreshingly honest of him. Or is it that he got the talk? We're putting in, we're putting in this guy. Yeah. Of course he definitely got the talk, but for him to actually admit. Yes. You know, he could have just went quietly out to pasture and said, I have declined this position because. Uh, Yeah. Health health issues. I just want to retire. Exactly. But the fact that he's saying this. Yes. Is giving you an open window as to what the hell is really going on. Right. And again, the, is, the, the Japanese nationalist policy is becoming, a lot of people are, are, are thinking, what's Japan going to do on a geostrategic stage? And I think there's going to be more of an integration with more nationalist governments, more sovereignists, as you like mm-hmm. to call them. And I, and I believe that's Sovereignist government, like, yes. Yeah, sovereignist governments. They're looking for multipolar cooperation, mm-hmm. mutually beneficial trade. They want the old globalist guard to be done away with. And this was an open mm-hmm. window, Tom, that you just described to us, an open window into the, 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 some of the, the conversations. Because what analysts like yourself and what I do is we are always reading other people's mail. So this, yeah. was, this was something, man. So Ueda, I expect, isn't going to, is going to change monetary policy. I think he's going to end yield curve control. Yeah. Now, if he does, oh, and, you know, and they try to, you know, and like, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So if he does that, well, that is going to, unwind, and that's going to, if that's the case, and the market is starting to believe that, did anybody notice what happened with the JGB tenure during this whole Silicon Valley Bank thing? It, it dived. It got, no, but it, it, it went back to, 0.25%. It was trading at 23 basis points this morning. Oh, it went back up? Yes. Holy Why? God. Because the short JGB long dollar or long euro carry trade yeah. blew up and everybody was having to cover. And the euro yen cross fell from a, a, a buck 40, 144 back to 140. I mentioned this to Francis. I mentioned this on Twitter. I said, oh, by the way, like I I think the the J I think the Bank of Japan is going to end the yield curve control. Francis Hunt came back to me and said, "That's why we're long the Euro Yen cross." And I went, "Francis, you need to read this article. I think you're in. I, I think that's a bad read. I think that might be a bad read. I think the Euro Yen. I think what's going to yes, while Japan may be screwed if they let up yield curve control, I think Europe is screwed more because that's the last pillar." of support that Lagarde has in the international markets to manipulate the cost of offshore, do- the cost of dollars by, ma- by managing the rates on U S treasuries. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how once 
Powell put this thing in place and, so, and it started to do this, that this insane 100 basis point inversion on the 210 spread reversed mm. itself and went up by 50 basis points in two days. The 210 spread in the United States is only 47 basis points as of yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. After it hitting over 100. But again, somebody was pressing on that in order to try and make the case policy error. No, the Powell, you have to stop raising rates. Who's got the incentive to get Powell to stop raising rates? BlackRock. Right. Davos. The ECB. And U.S. German credit spreads have slowly been tightening, meaning um, Germans, the German Bund's pre- yield premium or price premium, sorry, price premium to the U.S. bond of similar maturity is tightening. It's going away. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand how anybody in their right mind still thinks that a two-year German Bund should trade at a lower rate significantly lower rate than a U.S. two-year bond. Only a market so gaslit into believing that Germany has a brighter economic future than the United States (laughs) or political future than the United States would believe this. But that's how thorough the gaslighting has been, Mm -hmm. that the German Bund is still trading, you know, depending on where you are in the yield curve, anywhere from 1.3 to 1.6% below the U.S., a comparable U.S. 10-year treasury maturity. That maturity. Insane. Yeah. Moronic. Mm. Period. Under no circumstances should that even be th- thought about. So the only, and for weeks leading up to Silicon Valley Bank, I kept looking at the U.S. 10-year going, why is somebody sitting on this thing at 4%? Why will they not allow a daily close or even a weekly close above 4% on the U.S. 10-year? And it had to be because of the spread between the JGB 10-year, the U.S. 10-year, the interplay between the JGB, U.S., and German 10-years that someone was going to lose their ass if that got above 3.5%. Yeah. It's the only thing I can think of. And I, I, I'm like... I don't know the mechanism of that. This is what I, when I said earlier, I don't know what the mechanism of this is, I, but some, but it's out there. And like, I put that idea out into the universe for somebody to go find the freaking, you know, outstanding. And then it's because someone's trading this or someone is sitting, has been sitting on the, 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 the U S tenure waiting for that moment when something was going to break. So, you know what I thought, ha- I think happened V when you go back to Silicon Valley bank yeah. is the following. Mm-hmm. Was it a was it a was it a Fed decapitation or was it a um, or was it Davos pulling the pulling the plug to try and destabilize the American capital markets? I think it was both. The Fed decapitated it, started the whisper campaign against it, started the bank run, and then um, Davos created the um, the doom porn to try and induce a wider panic and contagion. In response, so the Fed. Well, it also makes rook. sense with the with the, the, the politicians, and then yeah. they try and then they try and put pressure the Fed's queen. Yeah, in, in and, al- and also you look at some of these uh, Davos-linked politicians who were all coming out saying, "We want to have the talk of bank runs be banned on social media." Yes, that that was another dead ringer as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if you look at what, so the FDIC comes in and takes the bank out at noon on Friday, as opposed to at five thirty. They always, yeah. oh, during the entire financial crisis, it was always after the after the markets were closed for the week, after the Globex was closed at 5 o'clock, at 5.30 or so, the FDIC would announce all the banks that closed that day. They would never do it during market hours. This time, they did it very publicly at the height of the crisis. Hmm. That's, and the FDIC... I'm sorry, works for Joe Biden, works for Janet Yellen, works for Davos. Oh, so yeah. All those institutions Absolutely. are, are capped. I mean, are, you, you, so they you, would you, do that on yeah. purpose to try and force more panic to try and see if they can get some knock on effects. Like, if you're going to take out our dude, you're going to take out our thing, we're going to take out. And so they then they put the pressure on First Republic Bank. And JP Morgan stepped in and went, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> Here's some money. Yeah. Credit Suisse, here's some money. Right. 
So every every potential counterattack, nope. Sorry, sit down. No, 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 no. It's like dealing with it's like dealing with a dog that has never had any any proper training and, and has lived on its own wits, and you're like trying to like you know get the dog to submit, yeah. and it keeps fighting you. Yeah. That's who these people are. And no, Powell exactly and the company keep going. No, no. You're these are terribly down. miseducated people, man. Terribly miseducated people. They don't. They have no idea what they're screwing with. Yeah, they have terribly no idea. Miseducated. No, and and they they think they can wriggle out of this. And no, they're, they're not, not going. It's not going to. They're no. not going to. They're they're about to get eviscerated. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's yeah. the way things are headed for for Europe, for globalism, for for Davos itself. I mean, unbelievable. These are people that have lived in ivory towers in their own echo chambers for their entire lives. For six generations, exactly seven generations going back exactly. to the formation of the Bank of England. This yep. is how big this is. Yeah, yep. yeah. My, my cat agrees. By the way, um. <laughs> right, Tom. Clo- closing statements, my friend. Uh, closing statements. It's all fun. If you're not having that. fun, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. Um, but I do think. I mean, look. I'm. I don't know that I'm right about all of this, but I put all of this out there for you guys to go over. Yeah. Think about, mm-hmm. try and fill in some of the details, you know, and don't abreact to every little piece of data that right. may contradict what I'm saying, because that is the wrong way of doing this. We've been trained by these monkeys to go to find the, the, the gotcha. Yeah. Oh, well, that all sounds great. But what about this little thing over here that doesn't matter? So that, that invalidates the whole thing. Tactical no, no. minutia doesn't mean anything in the greater no. war. The Brett. That is a the that's payola, right? Guys, it's payola. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, some guy got a thing over here, and they got to write a headline, and then they're gonna gaslight you into believing that Powell's still the bad guy. You're wrong. Don't play that game. But they mm-hmm. will because they need because there's and there are too many people in the financial commentariat who need to be right. They, of course, not want to be right. Not are trying to find what the the truth is but for their business model their per their their personal you know audience whatever it is their own personal you know sense of self-satisfaction there's no humility to these people and they need to be right correct 100 watch the people who come after me on twitter yeah and you'll see exactly who they are or the people who i call out and don't respond those two Mm mm-hmm but I Absolutely. go after them on purpose, not because, well, one reason I'm an asshole and two, because I'm trying to get the conversation down the road. Right. Right. I'm trying to get the conversation, trying to elevate the conversation, even if I have to do it in a crude manner. Yeah. By, you know, by calling them nasty names on Twitter because it's fun. <laughs> because if you're, again, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. I love it. Tom, you're like a you. You're from the Northeast, right? Originally. Oh, I'm 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 New York through and through, dude. Bro, same here. Okay, so that's yeah, that's what I mean, I'm like. like kind of that, to be most of the accent is gone, but dude, yeah. I, when I went to college, I used to talk like this. Yeah, of course. I couldn't physically say the word the letter R. Yeah. Like, you got five dollars. I want to go to the mall because, like, come on, let's go. Yeah, I want to get. Exactly. This is the way I used to talk like a goomba. So I'm like, Tom has to be in New York. You can't be this savage without being a New Yorker. <laughs> people don't understand us, man. Dad, dad people were assholes. Dad, dad was NYPD. My mom was a nurse. We lived up in. I, I grew up in the suburbs in in Where? Orange County. Orange but, County, you know, what? Oh, I, I grew Good up finale? in Highland Mills. In Highland Mills, dude, you were like ten minutes from me. Where'd you Where'd you grow up, dude? I, I grew up in Rockland County. Like, yeah. like, so yeah, was so rock. Were, I wasn't like minutes over the mountain. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Bang. <laughs> I you know, no, literally, I went to if you ever went to the, if you ever, you know, went up north, up the up the turn, up the 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 the, the interstate, yeah, up the the uh, 87 the the, 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 the turnpike, yeah. you you took that north, like Binghamton or whatever, like you drove right by my high school because it was on the hill, right? Because you you came over the mountain, you where Route Six came down, yeah, that's I, that's where I grew up. What high school did you go to? I went to Monroe Woodbury. I went to Ramapo. What's that? I went to Ramapo. Went to Ramapo? Yeah. <laughs> we used to play you guys in football. <laughs> yes. I got my bell rung by a big old guy from, from Ramapo one day. I was a terrible football player. Oh, yeah. I could read the play, but I wasn't, but I didn't work out in the weight room, so I couldn't stop anybody. I know. Uh, that's when I, that's when I realized that it was time to become a musician. You, you, and you, you, it was time Tom. to put football away. You know what? You know. You know what? The, the, here's a true saying. Somebody once said this, and it's so true about us New Yorkers. 
New Yorkers aren't nice, but we're kind. Yes. Right? Californians are nice, but they're not kind. That's yeah. no, that is exactly difference. right. We are blunt and we're yep. rude, but we'll go out of our way to help you to make sure you exactly. th- that you survive. Yeah. The the best way to understand a New Yorker and the generosity of New Yorkers is to ask them for directions. One hundred percent. Because they'll go, okay, so which way? So what's more important to you? Which way do you want to go? Do you how how much time do you have? How much money do you want to spend? Bubble because there's eight different ways to get everywhere, right? Yeah. So and they'll sit there, and if you just need like a simple set of directions, they'll sit there and talk to you for twenty minutes to try and get you the best path. Yeah. Yep. And you're like, I just just give me one of them, and we're like, no, you don't understand. You want to be stuck in traffic for three hours? I'll send you to Mawa. It's not hard. Like, nah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's what it is, man. And we, and we we don't have time. That's the other thing. It's like we got That's something right. to do because living out there, it's brutal. It's tough. It's a meat grinder. It is a meat grinder, and that's I, I'm telling you. It, and it California so is the, and California is the ultimate expression of what happens when you get to live on other people's money. One hundred percent. It's not because, even the same. and this goes back to and this goes back to the 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 uh, the monolithic Fed funds rate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That you know, I think I don't know if you and I talked about this the previous time I was on, but just to remind everybody that by having a single singular Fed funds rate, mm-hmm. it actually benefited California at the expense of the South. Yep. Because the price of money, the original importance of the federal reserve system was that it was supposed to be regional interest rates managed by regional central banks so that when the demand for money in california was higher than it was in mississippi the atlanta fed would have a lower you know would have lower rates than they would in california california's right. demand for money should rise so interest rates should rise and you know they should be paying five or six percent for money and and mississippi may be paying two and a half percent meaning hey capital can flow to mississippi but when you go to a monolithic Fed funds rate, what you wind up with is you wind up with exactly the same situation you have in, um, uh, you have in the uh, uh, the eurozone with yeah. the monolithic euro and the currency and the one, uh, but different interest rates is even worse. But you have the same kind of thing. Now the Mississippi's got to pay too much for capital because it's because the the borrowing rate is based on Ca- no. California gets to borrow money at, money at rate gets to borrow money at rates that are lower than they should be. And Mississippi right. has to pay higher rates than they should. So they get screwed. California gets to expand. All the money rolls over there. It's internal mercantilism. 100%. 100%. So once you understand that, our goal is to get back to, and I think SOFR has the ability, Long another another conversation for another day, has the possibility of being able to re-regionalize the Fed funds rate just through the market mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Tom, where can people find you? You said it at the beginning. TomLuongo.me is the blog, the Patreon slash Gold Goats and Guns. If you want to become a member, where I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I interact with my people all day long, uh, both on our private Slack server. I write for them. I do multiple podcasts for them a week uh, with chart reads and you know, and all the rest of it. And then you know, uh, you can find me on Twitter at TFL seventeen twenty eight, pissing off everybody. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Folks, he is the man, Tom Luongo, gold gold goats and guns. I was going to say gold guts and guns. You need some guts to live this life. I know we need some girls in that one. (laughs) Let's not kid ourselves because we have to remind ourselves at this point that, you know, I mean, if if gold goats and guns isn't macho enough, you know, um, then gold goats, guns, and and chicks. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for the invite. As always, great to talk to you. We'll, uh, We'll talk soon. Absolutely. There he goes, folks. Uh, TomLongo.me. With that being said, we're over and out. Bye-bye.